Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 145. 145 and in person. Yay! This is an in-person, very special episode of Dumb Love. And I've got the giggles today. I can't. I'm sorry. We're both a little dumb today. We're both a little dumb, and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, Jen, it's so good to see you. So good to see you. We've not seen each other in a while. Beautiful. You look beautiful. You look beautiful. You you guys got to see it. Jen, she is surrounded, like backlit. By the sun, with <laughs> your hair, it is. She looks amazing. It's uh, you do. I wish Sally you guys were looks here. like an angel. Her <laughs> hair is flowing in the wind. There's a halo over her head. There's no She's wind. She's got but... a spring break glow. <laughs> yes. How was your spring break? It was good. It was fun. That's we, where we were, you guys. Yeah. That's where we were last week. We were both on spring break 22. Sorry, we had to take off. Yolo. Um. It was, uh, this is just a side note. It just reminded me because we did an old episode and yeah. I, like, I forget like what's on old episodes, you know, that was from like two years ago, the one that we aired, oh, no. I think, but a new listener just, um, uh, sent us a message on, did you see it on Instagram? Uh, she said that she no. was just started listening to dumb love. And the first episode that she put on was an episode that was like, I, like right after New Year's of 2020, oh. and you and I were like, "This is our year. This is everyone's year. We're all gonna kill it. This is gonna be so great." I have to look up her name. Um, who said that? It was Haley Instagram for. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a new listener. But she like wrote us to be like, "I'm sorry. I just have to point this out to you. That's fucking hilarious." And I was like, "I know. We're idiots." Oh yeah. Um, but anyways. <laughs> This year's gonna be a this no. is it. No, I don't want to jinx that. No. So no expectations. Uh, so you went to the beach. Yeah, it was fun. We went to Hilton Head. Um, I went with uh, my my mom and my brother and sister in law and um, some nieces and nephews. And then my aunt Teresa from New York came. Oh, so fun! And that was fun because I love seeing my mom and my aunt. Yeah, Teresa I was gonna together. say, are they just like? peas in a pod they're hilarious so they call each other it's caroline and Teresa, but they call (laughs) each other t and k oh and they were just bouncing off of each other it was so cute and then like we um their accents were just so like we went to uh the salty dog cafe yeah but everything was like cat we going to salty dog (laughs) what are we doing are we walking or we driving are we riding bikes salty dog what are, we, what are we going? Salty dog. And so um, then my nephew is so cute. I posted a video of my nephew was like, he kept making fun of my mom with, like, with the Italian hands. And going, <laughs> yeah. Salty dog. <laughs> to the salty dog cafe. It was funny. But uh, it was so great to see my aunt. I think she listens to the podcast now. I had to teach her how to listen to a podcast. <laughs> hi, Aunt Teresa. Hi, Aunt Titi. Hi, T. She was like, did you go Jen, to the salty dog? Show me how to do this. What is it called? Dumb love. Okay. I'm on it. Salty dog. I'm in. 
um how was your trip it was great but it's so funny that you were like you got that spring break spring break glow because it snowed where we were really? yeah we were just in the mountains in uh in north carolina we didn't even go wow. far we were two hours from atlanta and it was snowing it was the first day we got there it was like 70 degrees and then by the second day it was like dropping and then the third day it was snow in the mountains <laughs> and the kids loved it, of course. I mean, it was it was pretty cool. We went for this hike, and like as we were hiking up, it was just like you know, just got like more coverage, and it was like s- snow blowing. And our friends that we went with, Jeff and April, they had their uh, niece with them, who's fifteen, and she is lives in Thailand, or she's from Thailand, and she's here doing like a study abroad for a wow. year. And she had like never seen snow really, and so she oh. was just like, "This is so cool! It's a spring break miracle." <laughs> it was, yeah, it was cool. But yeah, it was it was nice. It was real chill and um, great. Fun. Yeah, we got a lot of um, feedback. Uh, we said, "What are some of your?" Uh, we asked everybody on Instagram, like, "What?" Oh, are, and yeah. on the last the last recorded episode yes. of the podcast, or what are some of your um, dumb high school rumors? And we got some really great ones yeah. back. A lot of them are really sexual in nature. Every all of them, <laughs> except for, I loved it, except for my. Uh, my friend Jeannie, who I love. Hi, Jeannie. I don't know if she listens, but she's just had a baby. But she responded and was like, our uh, our music teacher had a plaid toupee. And I was like, how does that even? What does that even? <laughs> what? And she was like, oh, I think you were maybe just looking for sex ones. Sorry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, we're definitely we looking for a plaid toupee. <laughs> we weren't looking for sex ones, we but you guys just sent it. Yeah, ones. there was just a lot of like uh, real X-rated shit. I mean, that just shit goes to show you what goes on in the mind of a horny teenager i, mean, kids I guess are kids it's are so assholes yeah. i love it basically all of the rumors had to do with people having sex with uh animals like the one was like a girl put a peanut butter on a crotch and then i'm like I that know. is a, that is a rumor in every school like that is 100 percent a rumor in every school yeah Oh, man. That's an urban makes, legend rumor. Yeah. What was or is one? it? You guys, if you've ever... <laughs> 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 guys, right in. Let us, up, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll only use your first name and last initial. <laughs> um, and I want a security number. We posted them on Instagram, but I wanted to read the one that we got. Uh, Shelby McKenna wrote and was like, the two rumors that came to mind was that, that seniors would tell freshmen there was a pool on the roof, which I totally had that at my school. Did you have that? Oh, a pool on your roof? You had a... Or no, the no, no, the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? No. Oh. <laughs> or did you just like go to a school with a pool? Yeah, my school is so rich. We went to Beverly Hills High School. Um, no, we did not have a pool on the roof. I don't think that I ever heard that rumor, though. Oh, really? Yeah. That was like the thing they would tell, go find the pool. Oh. Um, and the second was, this is like the classic. So second, there was a boy that was a few grades older than me who everyone said got drunk in a field party. Although there's a field party. So I feel like this is Indiana. And had sex with a goat. I really... <laughs> 
one. Did that was that on Instagram? Yeah, or, she just sent us a message. Oh, uh, I didn't and see then it. she said, "I really don't believe that happened, but everyone <laughs> at our school said it did, and people would prank call this guy and make goat sounds when he would answer." Which I'm just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> He's probably like, "Dude, I just went to go to the bathroom really right? quick. I went to the bathroom. There was a goat six feet away. <laughs> we were gonna have a field party. Yeah, oh, like, man, oh. just that's just like wrong place, wrong time. Those poor kids." Oh, I know. Man. God, I hope that I hope I know I'm laughing. It's so awful, but also just so it's just like God, we're so dumb. Yeah, <laughs> and you know we're dumb for repeating these rumors. So oh my, I'm not saying any names. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, quickie, well, quickie. So my quickie this week comes from an article for People.com written by Stephanie Wenger. Ooh, yes. All right, Stephanie Wenger. Wang with an E N Wenger. All right, Stephanie Wenger. But I'm sure people in her high school called her Stephanie. Wenger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Stephanie. You are a serious person who wrote a serious article for a serious, sort of serious magazine, and I'm an asshole. Okay, so. James Leggett and Amy Heath were getting ready to get married at, um, it's called We the Curious, which okay. is in Bristol, England. Have you heard of it? Sure. All right, England. <laughs> um, Can you do the rest with an accent? No. Dang. You know it can't. <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> this Saturday, you know I can't do it. I'm going to do it so bad on purpose. Self-preservation. This Saturday, afternoon, I'm going to call the fire. You sound like Julia Child. I did on purpose. <laughs> no, Jen, it's like this shiny oh, little right. boots guy. Oh. <laughs> right, Sally, right. All right. Then we preparing to get married when um the bride was she said that she was literally holding the door handle on the bridal suite about to walk down the aisle yeah walking out the door and then her sister who was the maid of honor got a phone call from her husband to tell her that the roof was on fire oh my god like the song the roof <laughs> we don't need no okay um, anyway, so uh, so the roof was on fire and yeah. they had to evacuate. She said that she turned around and looked out the window and she just stood there and froze. Yeah. She saw the blaze. Um, so, of course, they were devastated. They had to evacuate. This is the second time that they've had to cancel their wedding. I mean, what are the odds yeah. that their venue would be caught on fire? But the silver lining or the upside of the story yeah were was that the amazing firefighters who went in there to obviously save the building right. and uh, <laughs> and everybody in it also <laughs> saved their wedding cake oh, they really? like thought to go in there and get the wedding cake and remove the wedding cake from the building completely like, unharmed just a little smoky <laughs> Well, apparently it was totally fine. Yeah. And then they were also able to, they salvaged some old photos that were like set up oh, that were yeah. sentimental. Oh. So it's just like nice that even though on such a, a like, yeah, another huge disappointment, it's just nice that there are just such wonderful people out there that would make a point to like go yeah. in there and Did try to make their day a little bit better. So James Le Leggett said, thank you so much. Uh, this is what he said to yeah. the 
firefighters. He said, thank you so much for your guys' effort yesterday. This day was an absolute whirlwind of emotions. And when we heard the pictures and cake had been recovered and then saw the firemen walk round the corner. Round the corner. <laughs> it was just indescribable. Thank you so much. Donna Speed, the We the Curious chief executive officer, said that the firefighters were just so caring about the whole situation. Unfortunately, the venue remains closed right now because yeah. uh, the key server systems were damaged. Sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what that is, I but don't it either. sounds important. It sounds very key to the operations yeah. of this establishment. Yes. But um, the um, couple told the BBC that they hope to get married at a later date. This is a job for Steve Harvey. <laughs> Steve! If ever there was Harvey. a job for Steve Harvey. Fly me This is too. it. People on over, get them married, fly back. Marry them in your studio. Nothing. <gasps> what could go wrong in Steve Harvey's studio? I mean. Nothing. It's no wrong, just right. It's, no. Yeah. It, you're definitely going to get married if you get married in front of Steve married, Harvey. married, you're going on a baller honeymoon. Yeah. And then we'll probably do another story about you. So win, win, win. Exactly. <laughs> well, I love that. Well. I mean, I don't love it. I don't know how I feel about that. I know. I feel so bad. For, I think it's yeah. horrible. But I feel, um, I, I just, I love to see when there's just like yeah. little glimpses of yeah. the good in just humanity. That little, yeah, I was going to say yeah. that little like humanness that somebody was like, they're going to really want this wedding cake. Yeah. And take the time and do that. Yeah. And they took the time to take the pictures. Yeah. Oh my God. So this is um, one thing that just happened right before you got here. Mm. And I can't believe I forgot. Um, so my friend Carly, uh-huh. who was... Long story, but she got stuck in Greece from spring break because her daughter tested positive for COVID while yes. they were there. She, so she got stuck for like another week and they yeah. just got back in town. And she was so devastated this morning when she realized that um, her little jewelry bag full of all this um, sentimental jewelry that was her mother's, yeah. uh, who's no longer with us, um, left her and it was just like she's had this since she was a kid and it was just like she was so heartbroken yeah and you know i've always said that whenever i can't find anything i ask my grandmother who passed away like can you help me find this and i said to her i said um i said well you know i know this is a dumb thing but i've always heard ask like the people you know that have passed on to help you find things i said oh i asked my grandmother i said you know i'm gonna ask my grandmother to find it for you (laughs) And she was like, do whatever, okay. and whatever you think works. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask yeah, my yeah. grandmother to find that for you. And right before you got here, Carly um, sent me a Marco Polo. She was like, well, Jen, I got to thank your grandmother. <gasps> because she Yay! just got a call from the hotel that she she Because they had multiple hotels. Yeah. So from her travel agent and one of the people that worked at the ho- one of the hotels found Send it. it. Oh, and they're sending it to her. That's. What grandma? What's grandma's name? Grandma Anna Pizzo. Oh, grandma! I was gonna say Grandma Anne. Grandma Anna. Yeah, I know. Oh. She's. I know. It's crazy. That is crazy. It is crazy. Oh man, I want to lose now something you guys so think she can I'm find crazy. It. <laughs> no. <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> um, I love that. I'm so glad that she found that because that would be really heartbreaking. I know. Um. Okay. Well, let's see. My quickie is a listicle, but it's not our general, it's not our usual listicle. This is actually a heartwarming listicle. It is uh, 22 heartwarming stories of true friendship that will make you call your bestie. 
Um, and this was in Reader's Digest. And I love them all. And I might cry on some of them. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this one is from a woman named Betty Plow from Traverse City, Michigan. And she said, I grew up in a family that didn't show affection. I knew I was loved, but it was rarely expressed, either in words or with a hug. Then at the age of 40, I met Judy. I quickly noticed how often she told her kids she loved them and how she hugged everyone hello and goodbye. As with any habit, I picked it up, and the more I did so, the easier it became for me. Now I never fail to hug my friends or family members, and it's completely changed how I relate to them. It's an awesome feeling. Oh, I love you, Judy. Aww, that is sweet. Um, okay, five months after my husband, my two-year-old, and I moved 2,000 miles from home, I gave birth to a beautiful baby girl with severely clubbed feet. This marked the beginning of a long series of doctor's appointments. Taking care of two young children, one of whom required constant medical attention, meant that I was always tired and behind on my household chores. One day, we came home from yet another doctor's appointment to find the door front door ajar. I cautiously proceeded into the house, only to find the floors spotless, the dishes cleaned and dried, and the dirty laundry washed and folded. Upstairs, the bed were, beds were made, and there were even flowers in a vase besides my bed. It turns out that my friend Joy was driving by my home and noticed my car was gone, and she took the opportunity to help me to out. To break into my house. <laughs> Just throw a brick through the window. She was like, there was glass by the rack door. <laughs> um, I learned an important lesson to that day about compassion, and this friendship was sealed for life. And that was from Judith Hikinson from That's Santa, so Idaho. That's so sweet. Isn't that amazing? They say that the best way to help a friend that is going through a hard time is to just do it instead yeah. of asking, how can I help you? Just do it. Yeah. 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 So that's that's really sweet. I love that. I know. Um Okay, this one's from David Fenwick of Ocean Township, New Jersey. Um, After my wife of 44 years died, I didn't feel the urge to socialize, but that didn't stop my friend Tom from inviting me to join a group of guys who got together every Thursday for dinner. I told him I wasn't ready. He called me again the next week, and again I said no. He kept calling every week, and finally I said, okay, I'll go. Anything to keep you from calling me every week. (laughs) (laughs) It's now been six years since my wife died, and thanks to Tony... I have been going out to dinner every week with the gang we've dubbed Romeo, retired old men eating out. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. I know. Um, I just love that, like, yeah, that idea of, like, someone just being like, nope, I'm showing up for you no matter what. Like, Mm -hmm. even if you're pushing me away, I'm still here. Um, This one is like that, too. This is from Gia Bua from Nutley, New Jersey. She said, when I was pregnant, I felt and acted as if I had PMS for the entire nine months. My best friend, Laura, told me she was calling me every other day to make sure someone was still speaking to me. That is true friendship. (laughs) I was like, you're being such an asshole. You're gonna gonna turn everyone away, but I will be here. Oh my God. Um, Okay, so this one's sad, but sweet. So, sorry. I'm just kidding. That's fine. Okay, I met Mary Lou 14 years ago while tending the grave of my 34-year-old son, Kevin, just weeks after he passed. Mary Lou was visiting her son, Gary. She smiled, and soon we were sharing our stories, not only about our sons, but about life in general. On my next visit with Kevin, I saw a piece of paper sticking out from under a rock, an inspirational note from Mary Lou. Aww. No, I wrote her back and put my note under the same rock. A week later, I returned to find another note from Mary Lou. We went back and forth like this for years. Today, we still see each other, but usually over a hot fudge sundae. We talk and laugh and rarely feel the need to discuss our deep pain. That's why we're friends for life. Isn't that sweet? That's from Patricia Colardark. 
And those are my stories of friendship. I God. just am um, really loving some some good friendship stories these days. That's so nice. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it down with murder. Oh, I can't wait to tell you a terrible story about murder. <laughs> oh, shit. No, that's so... Uh, thank you for doing that. That's yeah. really nice. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for... <laughs> A story about people being so horrible to each other. Yes. Great. <laughs> I have one for you. Um, my story this week came from an article for uh, KFVS12 written by Amber Rutch. A, um, an article for Oxygen.com. Uh-huh. And then also an episode of Snapped Killer Cups. <gasps> Ooh, a couple. So two people being terrible. <laughs> well, at least they found each other. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, in Carbondale, Illinois, which is, do you know a lot about Illinois? I did. Used to live there. Oh right. Yeah, I used to live in Chicago, and I've been to Carbondale. You Carbon. have. Yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe you know Frank and Elaine Stonemark. <laughs> I don't. Do you, I do um, know there's like a college there. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's a college town, yeah. and so it was just kind of like, um, they, as I said, like small town living. When the college was out of session, it was just like empty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so Frank and Elaine Stonemark ended up meeting when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. They fell in love. They had uh, got married. They had two daughters and a son. And they ran a family business together of rental properties. Okay. Um, so probably very lucrative in a college town. Yes, yeah. it was, that's exactly why they were so successful. And so when I say it was a family business, everybody like every kid had a job. Yeah. Like they both worked at it. Um, and like everybody cleaned the units together. Mm-hmm. They cut grass. Like ev- it was a real family business. Yeah. And they were married for thirty-four years um, before getting a divorce. Oh, That's a long time. That is a long yeah, time. Yeah, Elaine said that they were just like driving home from church one day, and she just looked at him and was like, "I don't, I don't want to be married to you anymore." Wow. And so then they ended up getting a divorce, and um, Frank ended up buying Elaine out of the business, and it was kind of a rough divorce. They said it said it took like over a year. It was back and forth, like fighting because uh, Elaine worked the whole business, and she wanted yeah. half of what the business was, which makes sense to me. Then also probably one of the reasons that Elaine ended up wanting a divorce was because during the divorce, Mm. it um, it came to light that Frank had been having an affair actually Uh. with one of their tenants for several years. Yeah. I guess that is. Jesus, Frank. (laughs) Come on, Frank. Yeah. The tenant. Her name was Carmen Noland. Um, She was 33 years old from Romania. Um, She had been renting from them for three years. Yeah. And so, um, so Frank... Once they were divorced, Frank and her had a full-on relationship. And he really wanted the kids to accept her. And, you know, he told them that, you know, he was in love with her and that this was, like, a serious thing. And yeah. But they were definitely reluctant, especially because he had cheated on their mom with her. You know what I mean? Right. And she was so much younger. She, they thought that she, they didn't have much in common. But, you know, he stayed with her. And they ended up buying a large piece of property and then they built a home to live in it and in 2010 they got married she ended up working for his company which Mm. was called stonemark rentals and so she took care of all the company's finances and he did everything else and so they got along really well and um they kind of proved everybody wrong like all of the naysayers wrong that said that they would you know 
right. that it was a fling or that they shouldn't be together. And then they ended up being uh, living together happily for 20 years. Really? Yeah. So at this point, Frank's like lived a life. Right. I was going to say, you he's been I mean? married for a... A long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So by 2017, um, he was only semi-retired, but he was like ready to start slowing down more. So he gave away a lot of the company's responsibilities to his um, maintenance manager and friend, um, this guy named James Deese. So all of their employees kind of all lived in the community. Right. Um, so they were kind of like a big family. They all lived there. They worked there. They, yeah. And they worked for Frank and Carmen. So Frank was comfortable. He felt like he can trust... Carmen, he could trust James, he could trust all of his employees, and he was yeah. completely ready to retire. But then on October 30th, 2017, the police received a phone call. It was Carmen who called the police to report Frank as missing. She said that he had been missing since 6 p.m. the day before. Mm-hmm. She told them the police that they had gotten into a big argument, and then he took off in their red minivan, but he never came home. She said that this was kind of normal for him to disappear after they had an argument, but that he would always come home. But the reason that she was also so worried was because he had been having some health issues and was showing signs of Alzheimer's. So Mm -hmm. she was really worried. Yeah. Um, So the police went around, you know, knocking on everyone's doors in the community, asking if they had seen him they went to different family members houses they even went to his ex-wife elaine's house yeah and said like is frank with you and she was at that point she was like i have not seen him in 20 years <laughs> she was like, yeah hell no <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and so um then on um november 3rd which was five days after he had been reported missing carmen yeah. called the police to report that um, his, she realized that Frank's passport was missing and that his bank account was completely drained. Uh-huh. Like $200,000. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Completely drained. I just realized. So, it's just so weird. Um, his passport's gone, so I think he's maybe fled the yeah. country. <laughs> so he apparently had a vacation home in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And this piece of property he had owned with his first wife, mm-hmm. she told the police that Maybe it's possible he fled to the Dominican Republic and he's living there and yeah. he started a new life. But his family, um, his kids who are grown now, were like, he, that piece of property, like he hasn't set foot on it and like he has nothing to do with that property. He hasn't been on it yeah. in like, you know, 20 plus years. They also, when they looked into it, they saw that there was like no record of a plane ticket that was ever bought to the Dominican Republic or any record of his passport having been used. Yeah. Like, also, it's weird because it's, like, in your sock drawer. Yeah. Like, under a pile of whatever. Like, you just... It's here. You it's right there. <laughs> um, so, James Deese, his maintenance manager... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. When they interviewed <laughs> James Deese, he told the police that the last time that he saw Frank was on October 29th, which was the day before he went missing. Yeah. He, they, he said that he borrowed Frank's van and that when he brought the van back to Frank... Frank seemed upset, but he didn't know why he was upset. And he said that he just took the keys from him and drove away. Uh-huh. Um, and then at that point, the police were like, well, that could be the last time anybody saw him. The police also contacted his longtime business partner, Jeff Woodruff. Jeff told the police that Frank had been having financial problems. Uh-huh. He said that he had had to ask him for a loan to pay his property taxes so that he could save his property. Um, he said that when he came 
to speak to him, he said that Frank did not seem right. He seemed like something was very oh, wrong. Yeah. Um, he said that he seemed like he was in a daze, like maybe he had fallen because there was apparently like some blood on his cheek. And but Frank was like kind of out of it and didn't um, acknowledge. Yeah. At all that he had blood on his cheek. Oh, it's very weird. strange. Yeah. yeah. Also, when the police asked Carmen about this exchange that he had had with his business partner, she told them that, well, you know, Frank did have a big gambling problem. You know, maybe it's possible he owed someone a debt. And so the, the police contacted all of the local casinos and they said it looked like he hadn't used his player's card. <laughs> player's card in years. So I guess... They, they're like, it doesn't look like he's been here. Yeah. And apparently when they dug further into Frank's background, it, it turned out that Frank had actually been arrested a few years earlier for assaulting an employee on their property. Oh, on their own property. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, because they own like yeah. that whole community. So uh, apparently there was a maintenance man that was having an affair with Carmen. And when Frank found out about it, he attacked him. So... The now the police are thinking like, oh, could it have been this maintenance man that did something to hurt Frank? Right. And so the police tracked down this man. They never gave this guy's name. Yeah. But they tracked down this man, and when they interviewed, they him, tracked down this man, and it was him and his wife. That yeah. Frank. They are the killer couple. It was me. <laughs> um, when they tracked him down, they interviewed him. He admitted that he had had an affair with Carmen, but that after the big altercation, he moved away. He got a new job. He like never looked back. He couldn't have harmed frank or done anything frank because he was actually incarcerated when frank disappeared (laughs) that is a good that is a good alibi (laughs) he is in jail so uh so the police of course are also suspicious of carmen yeah you know it's his wife he she'd been having an affair and she's been coming up with all these like oh just by the way here are some like convenient details right oh you know what i just thought of um So she had never admitted to having an affair. So they're like questioning Carmen and and asking her all these questions. They know that she had had an affair because everybody told, but she's not saying anything of the sort. And then when they interviewed all of the the employees, it turned out that there were several maintenance men that (laughs) Carmen had been having. Carmen, listen, I will say (laughs) as a property manager. When you find a good maintenance manager, you grab them with both hands. I've never been sexually attracted to any of my maintenance managers, but I will say, when you find a good one, you treat him right and hope he never leaves you. Um, but anyway, I digress. Yeah. So, um, so maybe Frank just got fed up with her cheating, yeah. you know, and then just left her. Like, uh-huh. who knows? So um, on March 17th, 2018, five months later, five months after he had been missing, okay. uh, Frank's red van was found in a parking lot in Kentucky, which was 90 minutes away in a Kmart parking lot. Of course it was Kmart. <laughs> I'm like, and that's why it took five months, right? I know. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's just old vans all parked here. All kinds of abandoned cars. <laughs> yeah. So when they um, found the van, it was like parked in the last row, like closest to the street. Like it was in plain sight yeah. this whole time. Um, but when the police went and looked inside the windows, they could see like a red smear in the windows. Jesus. I know. <laughs> and when they used the luminol detector, they found that the van did have blood in it. Yeah. So 
so when the van was found and it was made known publicly that the van was found, yeah. all of a sudden the police then received a phone call from the maintenance manager, James Dees. Uh-huh. He said that he had something to tell him. Um, like, I too. Yeah, I too have information. <laughs> uh, he told them that Frank was not missing, but mm-hmm. that he was deceased and that he had known that since he was reported missing. Yeah. He told the police that on October 29th at 10 p.m., Carmen called him and said, asked him to come over because she needed help. Mm-hmm. He said that when he got there, he found Frank laying dead on the floor and there was blood pulled around his head he said that Carmen just asked him like point blank like help me move the body but that he was like no I'm not doing anything and went back home uh-huh. uh, but then he said that um, when he came over the next day um, Carmen told him that if he told anybody that he saw yeah. the dead body that she would fire him and so that's why he didn't say anything because okay. he wanted to keep his job uh, right. so they have the story that Carmen was somehow involved, but they need actual evidence. And so they end up putting James in protective custody. So they basically just want to keep him. You know what I mean? So like they can get more information out of him. But he thinks that it's like for his safety. He's like, it's working. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, they come up with a plan to get him to have Carmen admit to having killed Frank. So they planned to set up a phone call between James and Carmen to try to get her to admit it. But right before they place the phone call, James tells the police that he has something else he needs to come <laughs> clean him up. <laughs> uh, he was like, you know what? I actually did help him move the body. Uh, and he said that he didn't want to move the body, but right. that she threatened to fire him if he yeah. didn't. And um, so he said that they wrapped his body in a piece of plastic and moved it to the red van, then drove the body to an abandoned rental property near mm-hmm. a shed. And then he they left the body and covered it up with a bunch of tree limbs. And then they said that James then, he said that he drove the van to the Kmart parking lot in Kentucky, left the van, and then Carmen drove him back. And they were like, that's a lot of new information, James. <laughs> And, like, why would he do all of this for her, you know, besides losing his job, yeah. you know? So the police were like, you know, she's had affairs with all these maintenance guys. <laughs> <laughs> we were probably in an affair, too. So they kept questioning questioning him yeah. and asking him if they were having an affair. And then finally he ends up admitting, like, yes. He's like, you know what? I have one more thing to do. Yeah, actually. <laughs> so he said that they were having an affair and that it continued for about six months. Uh-huh. Um. And before the police can um, confront Carmen about this new information, um, she actually contacted the police to report that one of her rental properties properties had been broken into. Oh. And she told the police that she she thinks she knows who broke into it. Who was it? And she thought it was James (laughs) Deese. God, these two. I know, but it's like obviously it wasn't him because he was in protective custody. So um, they decide that this is the time for James to call Carmen and see what he could get out of her. Yeah. So James called her and was like, what the fuck? The police just called me and said that you think that I broke into your rental property. And he said, you better call them right now and tell them that it wasn't me or I'm going to call the police and tell them everything about Frank. 
And then right after they hung up, like yeah. right after, she called the police and was like, hey, remember when I said I thought that it was James Deese that broke into our property? <laughs> I don't think it was. I was wrong. Takesy backsies. Yeah. Whoopsies. <laughs> no. And so now the police are like, what the fuck? Like, that's pretty damning. Yeah. You know? And so so the police told then told James, like, look, this is your last chance to tell us. Yeah anything else that we need to know because we're going to find out the truth because you always eventually tell us. Because <laughs> you can't keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> You're really not good at this, James Deeds. Just save us a lot of time. Tell us. So uh, he told them, um, so then that's when he was like, okay, I knew that was some more information. So he told them that him and um, Carmen had been having an affair. Yeah. And that he said that he would go to her house in the mornings, every morning, and that she would cook him breakfast, and that they would have sex. And then Carmen would, like, complain to him about how horrible Frank was to uh-huh. her. And I can't figure out if that was a good deal or a bad deal for James <laughs> <laughs> I have a picture in my mind. <laughs> sex. But then you have to listen to somebody bitch. Right? Yeah, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, she told him that she wanted to leave Frank, but that she couldn't because she wouldn't get any of the money. And that um, Frank would have to die in order for her to get anything. Yeah. Which is so fucking brutal. Say, you know right. what I mean? It's just... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, like, anyway. it's, it's not just patently not true. <laughs> I know. So she would tell James that if he wanted them to be together, that he would have to kill Frank. And he was like, he's a really good pancake. <laughs> he's like, also, she might fire me. <laughs> also that. <laughs> and then um, on the night of October 29th. Maybe he was just like, just anything to stop her bitch. <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, my God. Just shut up, Carmen. <laughs> um, so then on the night of October 29th, Frank told the police that on the night of October 29th, Frank had asked James to come over and watch a game with him. And at some point, Frank got up and went into the kitchen and that's when Carmen then told James like go in there now and kill him yeah and she told him like go outside and go around through the sliding glass door come in that way while she would distract him yeah um but James told the police that he told her that he that he didn't want to do it and didn't Mm -hmm. want to kill him but Carmen told him if you don't do it I'll tell Frank about our affair and you'll lose your job and your home because he was like living on the property so then Carmen then went into the kitchen and told Frank about the affair and then Frank came out to confront James and that's when James out of self-defense had to attack Frank Uh and then he like strangled him and that's how he died this is James's uh-huh. story. Yeah. And then apparently after they had left the body at that abandoned rental property, a month after, later, they went back, got the body, bought, brought it Ugh. back to the Stonemark house, and then used a, cha- this is gross, used a chainsaw to cut up the body and then burn the pieces in barrels. I know, it's horrible. And so James then told the detectives where they could find the burn barrels. He actually drew them a map. Yeah. And then... That's when they, the police arrest, arrested James Dees. Yeah, and they wanted to arrest Carmen too, but they don't have a, a confession and they don't have a body, and, and all they have is James's testimony. So right. they need which to, has changed eighteen times. Exactly, yeah. so, it's very self-serving. Right. So they need to build a case against her. When they searched the area where the burn barrels were supposed to be, they did find some evidence of human remains, hmm. and they sent 
the remains off to the lab for testing. They also discovered that um, Carmen, after Frank had disappeared, before the van was found, just after he disappeared, had tried to gain access to some of Frank's accounts. Ding dong. (laughs) I know. And his safety deposit box. Yeah. Um, She also tried to sell some of his properties using a fraudulent document showing that she had power of attorney over his estate. Yeah. Uh, Apparently it was so bad that Real estate agents, when they saw it, they were like, what even is this? This doesn't doesn't look anything like a power of attorney. So James had pled guilty to first-degree murder, but also took a plea deal to testify against Carmen for a reduced sentence. Mm. And then on July 11th, 2018, police called Carmen in for an interview. Um, She didn't know that the police had all of this information about her, the affair, the fraudulent uh, documentation. Yeah. Um, So when they asked her questions, she just sat there and like lied and lied and lied. And they let her. They let her just like, you know, look like she was uh, still just looking for Frank. Mm -hmm. And so... um, and then she told the police that she hadn't spoken to James. And they were like, well, we have these recorded phone calls. So you right. definitely did. And then finally, the police ended up telling her that, like, listen, James, he's told us everything. And that's when she stopped the interview right there and asked for an attorney. Yeah. And so the police charged her with first degree murder, solicitation to commit murder and concealment of a homicide. Um, she agreed to a plea deal mm-hmm. in July 2019. She pled guilty to solicitation to commit murder and concealment of a homicidal death, and she was sentenced to only 20 years. Yeah. And then in July of 2020, James Deese pled guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to just 25 years. Jeez, like and it seems so little for such a brutal, brutal awful brutal thing. Yeah. And so Carmen will actually be eligible for parole in 2034 when she's 70 years old. Mm-hmm. And James in 2043 will be eligible when he is 69 years old. Dang. I know. And that's the end of the story. It's like, it's this is just another one of those like, oh my God, like these couples that like kill for love and then immediately throw each yes. other under the bus this yeah first i was gonna say it even sounded like they, they did it before like even before they murdered him they turn were turning on each yeah. other yeah it's so ugh. it just makes it's so senseless yeah. and tragic and yeah that's poor guy um uh, you got a good uh, story over there sally I'm i mean yeah but i don't <laughs> <laughs> why do we do these well, why know. do we have this podcast this makes no sense <laughs> what were we thinking i don't know we made a bad <laughs> some bad creative directions all right well, let's take it to happy town okay let's do it all right hey jen hey sally here's my love story great it's also a friendship story oh i just really been you know I've been really digging my girlfriends lately. <laughs> no, just... you're the best, Sally. Sally actually, well, I'll talk about it later, but Sally was so good to me this week. Oh, Jen. So oh, Jen. Good. Oh, Sally. Um, but, you know, so anyway, so I was looking for story, friendship stories, and I love this one. I found my information from CNN by Ala Alasar, Inside Edition by Maya Chung, and Good Morning America by Katie Kindlin. Ooh. Uh, Okay, so uh, Ashley Thomas and LaToya Wimberly were in middle school when they met at a friend's birthday party, and this was in 2004. And they were both, like, good friends with the girl who threw the party, but they were in different grades, so they hadn't met each other yet. But they immediately hit it off at this party, and then the three of them, Ashley, LaToya, and the other friend, all started hanging out. 
But then one day at school, they said that like the third friend wasn't there. And that is when they became like super close. Like they were like, oh, without her, we actually love each other. <laughs> you know, like we're, we are actually the yeah, best friends. Yeah, the other one was just ruining everything. Right? <laughs> so they said that they like became inseparable, which I just like as a side note, I love that way of meeting because that's exactly how Aaron and I met. Like uh-huh. we met at a slumber party where it was right before, have I told said this before? No. It was before seventh grade and neither of us, both of us were coming from like, different like different schools outside of like the feeder school to this middle school is a arts middle school and we knew this mutual friend through our parents and so our parents somehow got us invited to this slumber party so we would meet people at this new middle school and she and i were the only people who didn't know anyone else and all these other girls were playing like light as a feather and we're just like sitting together like do you know what this is and she's like no (laughs) like just and that was like how we met and became best friends we were like just because we didn't know anyone else Aww. at this like slumber party. Um, so the two of them just like middle school is like such a good time for like, finding good girlfriends. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So they like, you know, they shared everything. They wore each other's clothes. They loved the same music. They sh- had the same shoe size. Um, they even dated brothers just so that they could hang out <laughs> together. Oh my God, that's so funny. Which I'm like, I totally, Aaron and I totally went to a dance once with these two guys that we didn't really like but we wanted to go together (laughs) so we asked these two friends so they said that like for a year when they were in high school they the whole year they coordinated outfits every day so that they were wearing the same color like they were like super tight and Ashley had like a harder home life and so Latoya's family kind of became like her second family Latoya said Ashley was my the only one of my friends who didn't miss a single family event. She was extremely close to my entire family on both sides. So this is her parent, Latoya's parents weren't together. So her mom's side and her dad's side. Um, She said, if my father is taking me out, Ashley's coming with me. If someone asks, who are those girls? He said, those are my girls. Um, Latoya's dad was actually the one who helped Ashley pick out her first car. Now, like Ashley said, if she ever has a car problem or any kind of issue, she calls... Latoya's dad like they're that close Latoya was there for Ashley when when she was 15 and she found out that the man who had raised her wasn't actually her biological father wow Um, and then she grieved with Ashley when her mom passed away when Ashley was just 20 and then as they've gotten older their bond has remained just as tight they both have little kids the same age and they got to go through pregnancy together twice so they have two like Latoya has three kids but uh, Ashley has two, but they have the same age little kids. Oh, I love that. And they refer to each other. The kids play together. They refer to each other as auntie, which I love. That's because like Aaron and Grace, like Max said, calls them auntie. They've said they've never gone a single day without speaking to each other on the phone. And Ashley said, we're stuck to each other like glue. So when Latoya got engaged in early 2020, Ashley was there, of course, at the Um, engagement party she posted about her best friend's engagement on Facebook she put a bunch of pictures and then a few days later she gets a message Ashley gets a message from her mom's best friend so this was her mom who had passed passed away away. Um, and Ashley you know was Facebook friends with woman but hadn't talked to her in years so but the woman saw the pictures and she said oh um, I didn't know you were friends with uh, Latoya Wimberly your mom and I used to hang out with her dad when we were teenagers. 
And so a few days later, the women were talking and Ashley mentioned the message and LaToya immediately calls her dad. She's like, what a crazy coincidence. We've been friends for so long and I had no idea. Like they, they're from Philadelphia, so it's like a big city. It's not like mm-hmm. you would just think that your parents would know each other. And, and I think it was especially meaningful because Ashley's mom had passed away. And so just knowing, having any connection was exciting. Um, so she calls her dad and she was like, I never knew you guys knew each other. And Kenneth, LaToya's father, was like, yeah, I remember Ashley's mom. Um, Her name was Michelle. He said, actually, Michelle and I messed around a little bit back in the day. He'd heard from other people that she had had a baby with this guy named Mike. And he said he knew that Michelle had died young, but he had no idea that Ashley, this little girl he'd helped buy a car and had treated like a second daughter, was Michelle's daughter. Wow. So as LaToya talked to her dad, an idea started to form, right? Like as long as they had been friends, people had always thought that LaToya and Ashley were twins. She was like, it wasn't just our bond and we looked alike. Like they had identical, they have identical like gaps in their teeth, their high cheekbones, the same complexion. Like they even wore the same size shoes. They look so much alike. Oh my um, God. So while LaToya is talking to Kenneth, she dials Ashley's number and three-way calls her, <laughs> gets her in on the call. And she makes Kenneth repeat the story for Ashley. And Ashley's like, no, Mike isn't my biological father like we had a dna test when i was 15 and like it came back negative and so kenneth paused and then he goes well ashley i think there's a high likelihood that you're my daughter oh my god right so ashley said it was a puzzle and it was like all the pieces came together so fast so ashley and kenneth decided to go get a dna test together Neither of them thought it was truly come back positive, right? Like, what are, yeah, what are the odds? Like, what a crazy coincidence. But on February 21st, 2020, the results came in and it confirmed that Kenny was Ashley's father. Oh my God. I know. Kenny said he got the results over email and he said, I just knew I wasn't reading the results, right? So I called the DNA center and the woman said, yes, sir, Ashley Thomas is your daughter. He said, I could have nearly passed out. And then Ashley said it was a Friday and I got, I was at work when I got the call. When Kenny told me he was my dad, chills went through my body. I couldn't talk. I couldn't process it process it i couldn't even talk to him um ashley said i thought it was like a joke or something i was ready to black out so ashley you know she realized she's like i have been around this man like my whole life and he's my biological father she said i'm sitting next to him all these years and he really related to me she said it was beautiful like a beautiful discovery but also extremely emotional she says i have so many questions for my mom and i'll never have any of those answers Uh i mean she wonders she's like did she know he was my father? Because she had asked, of course, once she right. found out that the man who raised her wasn't her biological father, but her mom was like, I have no idea. Wow. I don't know. She never, I mean, she knew that Ashley was, or that LaToya was her best friend, but yeah. she never was like, oh yeah, I know her dad. Wow. So um, she said that she calls, she called uh, Kenneth on growing up, everybody called him Big Kenny. So she said, Big Kenny was like my dad. He was there for me the whole time and I had no idea. And LaToya says she feel guilt. She feels guilty that Kenneth was more involved in her life than in Ashley's. She said, I watched Ashley go through so many things growing up. And now all I can think was that her father was here and he could have been there for her just like he was for me. So that's very emotional. And Kenneth said it was emotional for him as well, knowing that he had a child out there that he wasn't able to be a father to. He said, I just feel bad for her, but we can't undo what happened. 
Um, but now that he knows, he's looking forward to building a stronger relationship with Ashley, um, of course, loving her like a daughter. And he also wants to spend more time with his newfound grandchildren. I should also say that, like, of course, you know, everybody in this story is very, like, he's only 46. <laughs> he's like, wow. right, because he, or, yeah, 47. Wow. And, and so he was obviously very young, like yeah. a teenager when, um, when Ashley was born. So it, as was her mother. So. But he said, I always see Ashley's kids around in this entire time. They were my grandchildren. I didn't even know. And he wow. can't wait to be like in their lives as a grandfather. And Latoya said that in some ways she's sad they missed out on being raised as sisters. But she also says, I wouldn't change it because I don't know if we had grown as known we were sisters that we would have this bond and be as close as we are. I have questions, but no regrets. And they said that the only thing that has really changed about their relationship is their title because they were already as close as sisters anyway. So anyway, so there's a story. Isn't that, that great? That is so amazing. Isn't it amazing that they like, just that they found each other and then that it all came out. It just I is, mean, life is crazy. Life is crazy, Jen. Wow. <laughs> crazy. Wow. Right? Love it. All right, let's do something dumb and something we love because we've got a reservation. Oh, yeah, we do have a reservation for food. For food. Um, okay, so for something dumb and something I love, you know, this was a big week um, for me. And it's dumb, but I also love it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds weird to say love it. Um, but so you guys know that I've been separated for a year now going through a divorce. And as of Monday, I'm officially divorced. Officially, and it's like... Official, official. Official, official. And it's a lot of emotions yeah no, I'm gonna... oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like sad but it's good and we're good and I'm so grateful for like how well we handled everything and how great yeah. the kids are and how great we're doing and like even when we like filed like everybody in the courthouse was like that's weird yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, you, you sure? know it's yeah. just we you know we just that's just it's it is what it is we had we made two wonderful children yeah and we're moving on and you know uh new chapters of our lives it feels good yeah. to be moving on um but i'm still like grateful for everything yeah and um so you know i think like i know this is a crazy thing to say but i feel like we're an example of how like divorce doesn't have to be yeah. terrible. I mean, you guys it doesn't have, have to be so scary. It, handled like, it so sometimes beautifully. Sometimes you just have like maybe you know it's you owe it to each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's the kind thing to do. Yeah. And so it's like um, I don't know. I'm saying, give me a show, <laughs> put me on a television, and I'll tell everyone to get a divorce. No, I'm like I I know it's it, you know it's. It's a weird thing to say, but I'm I'm grateful for the way that everything worked out. I'm grateful, you know, for the life that I had. I'm grateful for the life that I have coming. Yeah. And so, and I'm grateful for you. Thanks. Sally is so sweet and she sent me um, some alcohol. Yeah. Well, obviously. <laughs> I didn't know what I was, was like, happening. I'm sending you something you're really going to like. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> Somebody came to my door and she was like, just staring at me and I'm looking at her and she's like, can I see your ID? I'm like, for what? Am I under arrest? And then um, it was 
two really nice bottles. Thank you. You're welcome. No, we should be drinking them we right now if we didn't have this them. reservation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's my yeah. something dumb and something I love. Well, I love it too. I mean, Thanks. I just want to say that like you worked really hard to make it, both of you worked really hard to make it this thing that wasn't so horrible. Like right. you really did that so intentionally and how you handled it with your kids and everything was really beautiful. And I think you both are going to, like it is like, it's, the, you know, it was a beautiful thing while it lasted. And just because it didn't last doesn't mean it wasn't beautiful. It can be both and, right? Like both yeah. sad and wonderful that you're both gonna move on with your life. So. Anyway, I'm, like, I'm really proud Gwyneth of you. Paltrow and Chris Martin. People tell me that all the time. <laughs> They're <laughs> like, are you Gwyneth Paltrow? And it's like, I know. I look just like her. They're it's not. me. It's me, Jen, not Gwyneth. <laughs> no, I, know, I, know, I know what you're going to say. I'm like, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> no, but thank oh. you. Thank you, Sally. Yeah. Well, I love you. I love um, you, too. So my something dumb and something I love, I'm going to just, um, you know what? I'm just going to say this, even though I may be tempting the gods of uh, the podcast curse, um, but I am so excited on May 19th through 22nd, I'm going to be um, headlining Go Bananas Comedy Club in Cincinnati, and I am going to be recording my second album, and I'm pumped. Hell yeah. Yeah. So if you are live near there... Please come, please come <laughs> to I'm an. So excited for please you. Please come, um, because that would be really great to meet some of you guys or see some of you guys that I already know. Um, and I'm just excited to. It's just fun to like be putting something out into the world. Yeah. Um, and the thing that was dumb is that so my first album, you guys find it on uh, you know whatever streaming service. Sally Brooks was here. Uh, yep, Brooks was here. Oh, Brooks was here. Yeah. Sorry. You are Sally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I recorded it like right before I got pregnant. Actually, the night I got pregnant, I I had intended to put it out with my friend Jeremy Essig was going to be starting a record label, and so we had talked about him putting out my first album, and I was really excited about it. And then I got pregnant, and then I was like, I cannot, I cannot put any work into this. So I went with a label that I would not have to do any of the work. Um, and and that was fine. Jeremy, of course, understood. But he now is running the um, label for Helium Records, which is like a big, a big chain of um, comedy clubs, and they have their own like record production. I mean, it's just it's become huge. And so he is now running that. And so I reached out to him, and he was like, "Yes, we'd love to do your album." So I'm just so excited that it came full circle, and that I'm going to be able to work with him. So hell yeah, um, that's a thing. That's that I love, and I love you, and I'm so proud I of love you. you, and I'm so proud. Of you. <laughs> this is a very special friendship episode. So, specially friendship. Um, okay, you guys, reach out to us. You know, you can find us on the socials. You guys have been. We love hearing from you. It really. I know we say this usually. Probably every person that that emails us, we're like, you made our day. But you yeah. really do make our day when we hear from you because they were like, oh, there are people listening. How fun. Even if you're there to point out our inconsistencies. Yeah, we whatever. love it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, find us on the socials. We're all at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. You can rate and review us um, on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast service. Uh, and you can tell a friend. That'd be really nice. We'd love that. We would. And uh, don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Mm-hmm.